talked about quite a bit considering this is a, a Tennessee player. A lot of people here that are Titans fans and Tennessee fans going to be looking at Darnell Wright closely. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Hope everybody's having a great week. Happy Wednesday. I am joined today on a special Wednesday episode of the show. We're talking draft. It's that time of year. And so I'm joined by my friend, James Foster of No Flags Film and um, A to Z Film Room on YouTube and on Twitter. James, how are you? Good to hear from you. I'm doing great. It uh, feels great to be fully in draft season. It's my favorite time of the year. Oh, no, 100%. Day day one uh, of the Senior Bowl, we've got people just like flipping immediately. It's like a guy that you're high on. Sliding down wide receiver that is your draft crush. Yeah, and then they struggle in like three clips you found in press release, uh, the press release drills, and suddenly it's like he's just he can't he can't do it at the next level, man. He's done. He's cooked. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard you know sometimes especially with with players uh from like fcs the senior bowl has a lot of importance because it's kind of your first look at high quality reps but um yeah i think i think i I usually like to just kind of not really consume all that much senior bowl stuff and then find the tape afterwards and watch it because like everybody everybody's got their like players and i i did this too like i literally just did this on twitter with darnell Wright, so i'm a hypocrite but like everybody's got their players that they <laughs> like heading into the senior bowl and then they wait for the first like good clip of them to come out and then it's like oh my like like i told you guys Bingo. Um, but you know that's yeah hey, cherry that's pick it for sure it is part of the game today we're going to focus on a handful of guys that you have handpicked um, some prospects in this upcoming draft that are overrated or underrated. And of course, there's some subjectiveness there. But um, a lot of these guys, I, I, I'm looking at the list before we kind of go down it here. And I think that definitely it's going to create some conversation. Um, a, a couple of these guys, I think the consensus right now is trending towards agreeing that they're a little overrated, a little underrated. I'm excited to talk about some of these guys because I can tell there's going to be um, some folks that disagree who listens to the show. Um, with with your take, but I am really and there's a couple of these guys. I, one in particular, I definitely disagree with you on. So I'm excited to hear your argument for why they're a little over or underrated. Um, first of all, I, I want to get your thoughts on kind of giving us a frame of reference for this conversation. We talked a lot last year when we went through this process about how a player being over or underrated is much less a reflection of them as a player or a prospect, and much more a reflection on the you know the draft community or maybe the NFL or the, the consensus draft board whatever you're looking at just being a little bit too high on where they may should go in the draft it doesn't necessarily mean that an overrated player is a bad player you know you can have a guy who really belongs as a second round pick but if the consensus has him as a top 10 pick then he's overrated doesn't make him a bad player right and at, at this point in the process it's you know, it's not as much like overrated and underrated where everybody has these fully formed opinions and I disagree with them. A lot of it is like holdover from preseason rankings and kind of like what 
people's ideas of these players are like so for the overrated players a lot of them are going to be guys that were like in the top 10 you know top 15 whatever whatever the case may be um in the preseason and then this year's film just did not live up to that and you know people haven't watched the film yet and so they haven't really adjusted um and then you know with underrated it's not as right. much everybody has their evaluation on these players and i think everyone's too low on them it's a lot of them are like players that just people aren't talking about or haven't you know gotten to yet um so you know it is it's kind of like a different it becomes a different conversation later in the process once everybody has opinions on these players so <laughs> right no i i agree so um you know let's not dance around the topic any further let's let's dive in We've got, let's see here, 12 players, six overrated, six underrated. We'll start on the overrated side of the scale here. And the first guy you have on here is a guy that's been talked about quite a bit already, even though we're relatively early into the draft process. It's Quentin Johnson, wide receiver at a TCU. He's been talked about because on most draft boards, he's wide receiver one. He's definitely, depending on who you ask, in that top, you know, upper echelon of guys in this relatively weak wide receiver class, definitely a guy that you'd expect to see go in the first round just because of the necessity and the value of that position. But you think that he's a little bit overrated. Tell me about you know what you see in Quentin Johnson that gives you a little pause. So Quentin Johnston is 12th on the consensus board and he's 22nd on my board. Um, he definitely has the best traits of any, any of the top wide receivers. Um, you know, probably going to run in the four threes or low four fours and he's six foot four. Um, but there's just, you know, a lot of drops on his tape. I think he had eight drops this past season. Um, does not play to his size at the catch point at all. Um, and you know, I, I think he has a lot of work to do when it comes to technique with route running you know when he runs a curl route he needs a couple extra steps to stop his momentum um his breaks on like a dig route are just not that crisp you know i i don't really see him creating separation in that way against nfl corners and then he's also really upright at the line of scrimmage he's a big target and um it, you know it's really easy for corners to get their hands on his chest and uh, slow, slow down his route development. And so there's just a lot of red flags on his tape. Um, you know, and I think that he's the, he's the consensus wide receiver one. Um, I, I don't think right. having him as your wide receiver one is a, a terror. Like, I don't even ne know that I necessarily disagree with that because I'm not in love with Jordan Addison, JSN, um, really any of those top guys, but, yeah, I think uh, him just being the the like runaway favorite as the first wide receiver, I think um, I, I would disagree with that. Yeah, I, I saw I just went and pulled it up because we started talking about this and then I realized uh, I remembered this this tweet of yours from three or four days ago talking about your film breakdown on Johnston, which I guess you have a video out on him already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a guy that you described in, in the tweet as one of the most boom bust players in the draft, and I'm I'm sitting here looking at your your mock up for or your, you know your your visual um, for your evaluation of the the player from the tape that you've studied, and the list of strengths and weaknesses is tremendous. Like there's so many things that you mo both loved and 
kind of hated about him or, you know, maybe not hated, but gave you a little bit of, of pause that you found a little concerning. Ultimately, like, what do you think, what, what, who did you comp him with in the NFL? Who do you think he may end up becoming maybe on like the high end, if he were to pan out as an NFL, NFL player, or uh, maybe there's a guy that you see him potentially being, if it just doesn't work out. Yeah. So I, what I like to do with my comps is, is give, I like to give as many comparisons as I think fit. And um, it's less like this player is going to become this player. It's more like, here's a bunch of different kind of potential outcomes of what type of player he could be in the NFL. Um, So the ones I had for Quentin Johnson, I've got Kevin White, Christian Watson, Terrace Marshall, Preston Smith, and Martavis Bryant. Um, So, I mean, I think, you know, similar to kind of like, like Christian Watson last year just had terrible ball skills, but he was um, super fast and and big monster speed. Right. I think, you know, Quentin Johnson is a better, he, he has better hands than, than uh, Christian Watson, but you know, him or like, I really do see Preston Smith. Um, I don't know if you even remember that player, but uh, like he played for the Dolphins for a while. And um, okay. So he, he went to Tennessee and then he transferred to Colorado um, and he might've been in like the 2018, 2019 draft, kind of a late round pick. And he had some success early with Miami. Um, but yeah, I, okay. that's, it's, it's kind of like, I, I just, I don't see him really having a complete enough skill set to where I see him like being, I don't, I don't see it being like a very likely outcome that he's a, complete wide receiver one i think to me the realistic high end for quentin johnston is kind of an inconsistent low-end wide receiver one okay all right well we'll move on to the next guy that you have on your list here on the underrated side and this one i can't wait to talk about because talk about a guy that has already been spoken about for a couple of months and the jury is still for sure out the split on this guy is is louder than any other player in this draft cycle it's quarterback Will Levis out of Kentucky, all six foot three, 232 pounds of him on the consensus draft board. He's quarterback three, number seven overall. He's been um, one of the three guys that has been talked about in that top of the draft quarterback prospect. It's been Stroud, it's been Young, and it's been Levis. And Levis has been the guy that has been the most consistently divisive of those three. Part of that is because of the lack of production he had at Kentucky in his senior year. Part of that is, you know, people looking at him and, and thinking he's nothing more than a guy that just has a lot of the both tangibles and intangibles that NFL scouts, GMs, and owners love to fall in love with when they're looking at guys from a traits perspective, which we've talked about quite a bit. The philosophy is a little bit different from the average fan looking at these guys versus front offices and scouts and GMs looking at these guys. He's got a lot of those traits on paper, but those ingredients aren't something we've seen him actually put together in a cohesive recipe all that much. You have him down as a little bit underrated. Maybe the hate's a little bit too strong. So talk me through your thoughts on Will Levis and why you have him a little bit higher on your board than most. Well, so the first thing I'll say is I I would argue that he has put together a complete season um, in 2021. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. With with Will okay, Levis, so I just don't not, think, not in recent memory. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I watched the film a few weeks ago, so it's recent for me. Um, <laughs> recent for um, you, yeah, yeah. Recent in um, most fans' minds, right. So I I don't think that I'm higher on Will Levis than NFL team, than the average NFL team, or even like the average draft analyst that watches film. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm... But everybody else... Uh, I'm actually, you know, lower than him on the, uh, I have him. Yeah. I have him ranked lower than uh, the consensus and he's my quarterback four. Um, but I think that he's being severely underrated by fans. Um, right. The, the zeitgeist is very out on Will Levis. They've been that way for a while. Yeah. And I see this, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but like I see literally there has to be like a lab where they make these people that are just coming out with the exact same takes because I had to stop using TikTok because every single TikTok I would see was the exact same take on Will Levis. And it's like, um, <laughs> is the future... Why am I not the, shocked that your TikTok is just TikTok draft analysts over? Yeah. Over. That, that's not surprising. Like people calling him the future Zach Wilson, they're, they're nothing alike as prospects. Um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about like pro day throws that you know hasn't happened yet but pro day throws are not uh are not affecting any nfl team's um opinion of a player i see uh, another argument i see is like this is the exact same thing we had with trevor lawrence and justin fields where they were quarterback one and quarterback two and then late in the season you get zach wilson um rising up the draft boards and people overthink it and like trying mm -hmm. to compare it to Will Levis. Will Levis has been on NFL teams' radars since like before anyone heard of him. I mean, because he's got a rocket arm. He operated an NFL offense effectively. Um, so yeah, I think there's a yeah, lot man. of. I, I really do think that like the Zach Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson becoming a clear bust a few weeks before everybody started talking about Will Levis has really polluted the uh, discourse on him and it's it's like i just uh, some of the most extreme no, takes that's totally just fair. Seems like you haven't There's... even watched them um and the the, the, the last thing too you, i've seen a lot of pile on just because a handful of folks have have really not a handful of key folks i've seen be like i just don't see it with will levis which is fine you can have that opinion but it's been this like group think pile on of like, oh yeah, Will Levis is not it. There's also, frankly, there's been, I think, a race element to it just because there's, you know, long been the the discussion around how NFL teams um, don't necessarily value black quarterbacks the same way that they do white guys. So a, a lot of people that I think are more shallow thinkers aren't interested in actually looking at the people as or these players as prospects and evaluating them blindly are looking at, these two guys and young and Stroud who for a while have been the two guys that people have been looking forward to in this draft class at quarterback. And then this big stereotypical, like Josh Allen build rocket arm, white guy comes flying up the board. And then they see him not produce in his senior year or in his final year at Kentucky. And everybody's like, what is this nonsense? Which I get on a shallow level, but if you look into him as a player, that shouldn't matter. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah, I, I would agree. I think like the, um kind of historical um like opinions that are not opinions but like, like the implications way that, that, the yeah. way that black quarterbacks have been um evaluated by the nfl um definitely like the the juxtaposition of that i'm sure has uh has some effect on right. the reaction um 
but the 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 last thing I want to say with Will Levis is like you I don't think you can make a complete evaluation of him if you haven't watched the 2020 tape because if you if you only watch 2021 I do I like I completely understand um not seeing Will Levis as like a top half of the first round guy. I still think he's a, a first rounder regardless. Do you mean the 21 versus the 22 tape or do you mean the 2020 tape? Or if I said, said I meant 2021, like not, not this okay, past just, year. Just making sure 2021 um, is the tape you have to watch, not just 22. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, the, he was, he was, um, you know, playing through an injury this past year. I don't, I don't think that he True. would, I, I don't think he would have like, let's compare him to, uh, CJ Stroud. I don't think a single player on Kentucky's offense would have started for Ohio State. Um, just going down the lineup. Um, <laughs> I think that's. I, fair. I don't think yeah. you know. No, I, think I think you could say fair. the same thing for, about Alabama, also. And you know, just like to completely discount supporting cast and the difference in quality of offensive coordinator that he had from from twenty one to twenty two. Uh, I just don't. I don't think you can discount that with a quarterback. Um, with that being said, you know it's it's important. Like I'm saying that he's, I don't think you have to be that good of a quarterback prospect to be worth a top 10 pick. Honestly, I think the, the value that you get as a franchise of actually hitting on one of those guys is just astronomical. Like if you hit on a Patrick Mahomes, it's immeasurable you're set right. or Josh Allen, like any top five quarterback, any of those like set and forget quarterbacks where you're a guaranteed um, contender, like that is so worth it. And missing on a quarterback with a first round pick, like, you know, spending the seventh pick on a quarterback and he, you play him for a year and a half and he ends up sucking. That doesn't set your franchise back in the way that people think it does. You know, it's like, you're going to get another first round pick the next year. So just, you know, keep trying it. So I, I'm not, I'm not like, Oh, you know, Will Levis is going to be a franchise quarterback. Um, But I think if, if you're a quarterback needy team and, um, you know, you're in that probably like six to six to 12, six to 15 range. Um, you know, I think he, he would definitely be worth it. So to be clear, this, this is kind of a situational conversation. He, he's been talked about as a guy that might go in the top five. I've got, I've got tickets on him to go number one overall, just because I know NFL teams sometimes fall in love with guys and, and make rash decisions. And it wouldn't shock me if somebody moved up there to get him, but would you would you consider taking? I know you said he's your quarterback four. I'm assuming that's behind Richardson. Yeah, yeah, and um, okay, so it's you you would you know the the grade difference between Richardson and and Levis is pretty small. Um, honestly, I, I okay. don't I don't think I, I I don't think I see it moving off of Bryce Young being quarterback one. Although I do have concerns about his size. Um, but really like all four of these quarterbacks I would put in the same tier um, in terms of an average draft class. They're like, they're just like all the classic, you know, third or fourth overall pick type of guy. Like the, they're like the second, you know how in kind of a standard draft class, there's the the quarterback one goes first overall. And then like the second quarterback goes with a third or fourth pick. All four of these guys are in, in that second tier for me. Um, Mm -hmm. so it, it's really like, honestly, I probably, yeah, I, I wouldn't really have a problem. It it would have to, it would depend from team to team, but I wouldn't have a problem with any of these 
four quarterbacks being the first quarterback selected. All right, your second overrated player on the list here, it's defensive lineman Brian Breesey out of Clemson. He is, let's see, he's defensive lineman two on the consensus board behind Jalen Carter, of course. Uh, number nine overall on the consensus draft board. By the way, just for everybody listening at home, if you're curious what board we keep referring to, if you just look up NFL mock draft database, there is a consensus board, very easy to use and, and helpful to uh, to look at a lot of these prospects and where the, again, the the draft community, the zeitgeist has these guys. It's kind of a an aggregate of a lot of different important draft boards. But Brian Breesey out of Clemson coming in, at 6'5", 300 pounds, you think he's a little bit overrated. Where do you have him on your board? Um, I have Brian Brissee. He's my 30th overall player. Is it Brissee? Uh, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah, it's Brissee. Um, Brissee, it, all right. We're, we're making notes. we got to learn as we go here. Brissee. Yeah, the pr- pronunciation, it's, I mean, don't uh, don't feel bad. It's, it's how it's draft a, season works. It's, you it's, learn it's, as you go, you're going to get them wrong. It's just how it goes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's 30th overall, fourth-ranked defensive tackle. Um, and this is a player where I think it's a case of, like, people haven't really caught up and watched the the 2022 tape yet because if you watch – so he's the – he was the – he's a former number one overall uh, – or uh, number one overall recruit in the 20, not 2020 class, I think. Yeah, 2020 class. Um, six, five, 300 pounds comes in as a freshman, uh, you know, looking at his, uh, PFF profile, 81.2 PFF pass rushing grade as a freshman, 26 pressures, four sacks. That's, you know, huge for a defensive lineman. Um, his second season shortened by injury, but just based on what you saw from those first two years and kind of, uh, assuming a, a linear development path, it was you know, I had Brian Brissy in the top 10 of my preseason board. And, you know, that's kind of the expectations. You expect these uh, highly players with uh, high recruiting pedigree to to continue to develop the way that they have. But his 2022 tape was, uh, you know, borderline bad. Um, like there, there were games right. where he I saw was, a lot of people pretty high on him in that Georgia Tech game early in like September. And then it just went downhill from there. Right. And so that's the thing is what I'll say with Brian Bercy is um, if, if you're listening and you're someone who uh, is interested in like watching film on these guys, what I would say with Brian Bercy is you got to watch more than just a couple games. Because what I did is I watched week one um, Georgia tech, like you mentioned. And then uh, the first game Mm -hmm. that I saw posted for Clemson, I got uh, the, the UNC, conference the acc championship game those were his two best games of the season so i watched those and i'm like oh yeah brian Bersi, <laughs> right. top 10. yeah 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 he's got these like problems but great and then you watch the rest of the games and it's like wow i literally like watched the two good games um of his year i mean against <laughs> oh it's the rest of its trash oh cool tennessee awesome. like he was just he was getting teleported across the line of scrimmage he gets he's he has a oh a, yeah a real problem with pad level and playing too upright it's just so easy for offensive linemen to get their hands on him and um you know control the interaction he's a really flexible player and so 
at the college level, especially against lower competition, you'll see him lose with his hands. And then he's like in this upright position. The offensive lineman has great leverage underneath him, but he's, he's able to swim through and still kind of um, wreck the play. But if you put on your projection cap and try to think about, you know, the NFL instead of, you know, a wake forest guard or something, um, the the results are going to be different. The one thing with Brian Brzee, and I didn't realize this, um, I was listening to, I forget what podcast, um, but they were saying like his, uh, his sister, maybe like 11 years old or something passed away in September um, of this year, which is Mm. absolutely a, uh, a, like that's the definition of a valid excuse to not, you know, uh, develop in that way. I don't really know how to factor that into my analysis, but like, that is something that, um, should be mentioned. And yeah, I mean, 24 pressures, three sacks on the year. Um, he's someone that I, I don't, I really don't see going in the top 25. And if, if you look at guys who are plugged in around the league, um, you know, I'm, I'm checking right now. I don't think, let's see. Yeah. So Daniel Jeremiah had Brian Brissett going 30th overall to the chiefs. And I, th- I don't think, I think Mel Kuyper had him falling out of the first round in his most recent mock draft. So, you know, when you uh, look at the signals from people that have uh, NFL sources, it, it definitely seems like the NFL is not, doesn't have, top 10 grades on Brian Brissy. Well, and the other thing about him that makes it hard to really consider him in the top 15, top 20 is that he, he seems to me at least, and I'm curious if you agree, he seems like he's a purely interior guy. Like from what I've seen, his ability to play in space is really limited. He struggles a lot. Well, yeah. Like you wouldn't be able to move this guy around all that often. I, so yeah, I agree at the NFL level. And it's actually interesting with that. Um, Clemson started playing him towards the end of the season. They started playing him at defensive end because he was just getting moved back in the run game on the interior. Um, so much Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would say, check out the Florida state game. That was kind of the first eye opening game that I saw for Brian Bercy. Probably like the, it was the first one that I watched in this most recent, uh, uh, film session and it was like the first bad game of his that I watched where yeah I mean yeah he just he doesn't really put up uh he he's he's not great at really setting his feet and dropping his anchor when he's in a uh a double team situation and yeah I think he'll he'll go probably late first early second uh just because of the traits I mean the traits are still there um but I, I don't know that he has he has top 10 traits in the sense that uh, if the production was there, he could go in the top 10. But I wouldn't say he has traits where it's like you've got to have this guy, even if the production isn't there. It's just like generational traits that you have to bet on. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Your second underrated player is a guy that can play on the edge, and that's Edge Nolan Smith out of Georgia coming in at 6'3", 235. He's a guy on the consensus board. He is Edge 4, 26th overall prospect in this year's draft, and he's a guy that it becomes a little bit difficult to 
to evaluate him because he didn't get to play an entire season this past year. He, he went back to school for his senior year at Georgia, ended up with a torn pectoral muscle. Um, I think it was, I was looking it up here uh, at the beginning of November. So didn't get to play a whole lot of the year, but from, from what I, what I've got in terms of notes from you, sounds like you think he's a little bit underrated and maybe that has to do with the fact that he didn't get to play a whole lot this year. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned this in, when I came on for the mock for my mock draft episode. Um, but he kind of, right, I remember he suffers from the Georgia defense issue where they, they just don't let their front four guys pin their ears back and rush the pass. They don't let their dogs eat. They really don't. But you know, it, it, it goes back to the thing of like college coaches are not trying to give us a clear picture to make an NFL evaluation. They're trying to win. And so not their job, their front defenders had, uh, you know, run support duties first and foremost, but when you do see Nolan Smith rush the passer, he, I mean, again, another uh, former number one overall recruit from the 2019 class, he has elite bend. He's a little bit undersized, but, you know, he's still 6'3". I'm interested to see what the arm length is for him. But um, one of – when you compare him to, like, Miles Murphy, it's night and day in terms of his – technique and the the number of different moves that he has at his disposal um so i i to me that's he's i have him right now as my edge three with miles murphy as edge two but i'm kind of debating it's it's really the uh, miles murphy's basically like trayvon walker he's just uh the Mm. production is is not really there on a consistent basis but he has the dream build for an edge rusher um, but yeah, I, I think Nolan Smith, just such an explosive first step, even being a little bit undersized, uh, he's been an elite run defender his entire college career. So I, you know, I think he's a, a top 12 player in this class and, uh, yeah, def- definitely underrated. Your third overrated player is a guy that I, in, in my early um evaluation of this draft class took a little bit of a liking to but now i've heard enough people caution me on that that i'm i'm willing to consider changing my mind but it's cornerback keely ringo another georgia guy he comes in as cornerback four in this draft class on the consensus board uh 18th overall weighs in at 6'2 210 pounds He's a guy that we talked a little bit about, I think, on the, the uh, episode last Wednesday in the, the mock draft episode. But you're, you're not as high as the consensus on Ringo. Talk me through um, what it is about, about his game that, that makes you a little concerned. Yeah, so Keely Ringo, um, he has, from a, a length, size, speed perspective, he's the ideal press corner. But when he when he misses with his hands or gets kind of sh- uh, shaken up at the line of scrimmage, he panics with his feet and and um, you know his his hips go all over the place and really I mean like just gets beat at the line of scrimmage way too often for someone uh, who you're wanting to come in and, and be a press corner um, and you know. I think that there's, I think there's certain schemes, you know, he could be worth a first round pick if uh, 
there was a a scheme that was like dedicated to uh, masking his weaknesses. But yeah, I, I don't have a first round grade on him, and I think especially when when you look at this, when you compare him to this cornerback class. Um, let's see, what is he? He's my yeah, he's my sixth ranked corner, forty third overall player. Um, you know, he was someone that I think had a lot to prove to be a first round pick this year. And I don't really think he did that. Um, a big thing with him also, where do you have him going? I have him, uh, he's my 43rd overall player. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other big thing with him is a lot of missed tackles and open space and gets, gets juked out pretty easily. But, you know, he's still the high end, like the, the flashes are great and exciting. And, um, I had him going to, to Philadelphia in my mock draft. I think if, if he can be in a situation like Kyer Elam was this year, where he's not asked to be like cornerback one from the jump and, um, Mm. You know, if if you're a team and you feel confident that he can that he can fix a lot of his issues, I I don't know. I just I don't really trust him. I wouldn't trust him in man coverage. So you've got Ringo as your cornerback six. You've set me up for the perfect easy layup transition here. Your third, let's see, yeah, third underrated player on the list is another cornerback in this class who just a day ago on Twitter you called the most underrated prospect in this draft class. It's uh, it's Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks. Where do you have him uh, on your quarterback rank? Cornerback rankings. He's the first guy we've talked about here that is not a consensus first round, early second round player. He's all the way down cornerback. Too many to count, frankly, here off the off the jump. He's number ninety one overall prospect on the consensus board. Now I do see they they show the trends here, and, and recently he's been trending further up and up boards. So I think that people are starting to realize that he's been slept on a little bit early in this process, but talk to me about banks, why you love him so much and why you think he's so underrated. So Deontay banks falls into the category of people just haven't watched him. Um, which I mean, like, is you know, I under underrate players Maryland, by not rating them when I haven't watched them. It's, you know, it's not, a, it takes people a long time sure. to get through all these players, but um, yeah, I, I I was I was put on his radar when um, I think like one of the ESPN guys had him as like a first rounder, and I I pay attention to that stuff early in the process because I want to be like uh, early to to watch the film on the guys that are going to go early, and so um, you know yeah when I saw that I checked out his film and was just I, I think that he is really a, a uh an all-around cornerback prospect like he's really good in press uh plays with great leverage at the line of scrimmage he had this rep against um i can't remember the player a receiver for ohio state where he just like bench pressed him put the release in neutral and then just like drove him (laughs) seven yards back past the line of scrimmage one of the most dominant press coverage reps that i've seen um he has he has really smooth hips. He can make um, really quick uh, speed turns. He's really composed and comfortable playing the ball down the field. 
there's a lot of times it's it's a really difficult situation for a corner where you're not in phase meaning you don't have hand contact with the receiver and you're like chasing him downfield and uh the ball's coming over your head like that's an almost impossible situation because you need to run full speed to recover and not allow separation but if you overrun and make too much contact then you're going to draw a dpi and Deontay Banks has had a lot of those situations where he's just in a, a super awkward position in terms of playing the ball. And he just shows so much body control and composure um, where he can, he can adjust his speed to just, you know, maintain that perfect distance with the receiver and then, uh, you know, read the, read the receiver's body language, play the ball in the air. His biggest issue is only two career interceptions had a lot of pass breakups this year, but there were a lot of uh, could be interceptions that uh, that he dropped or just wasn't able to make a play on. And um, yeah, I think he might, I, I sort of, I don't think my comparison for him in terms of play style, I had two comps. It was Jeff Akuda and Eric Stokes, but I could see him being a similar player to a Dory Jackson in the sense that a Dory Jackson gets a ton of pass breakups, but just can't catch the ball and like never gets interceptions. Um, mm. I, I could see that being the case with Deontay Banks, but just in terms of his pure coverage ability, I think he's a first round pick. That's fascinating. I, I, he's a guy that I was, I was looking here just a second ago. Dane Brugler has him in his first round mock as well. And he described him as a cover and clobber cornerback with rangy speed, which is a, a pretty fascinating way of describing him as, as a guy do, do you see him as a cornerback that could be a, a press corner at the NFL level or do you see him playing in a different capacity yeah absolutely I think he's at his best in press coverage he's listed at six foot two um I I just posted a, a film breakdown of Deontay Banks so y'all should go check that out um I talked about this he's listed yeah. at six foot two but I I don't I call bs on that I think he's more like six foot and a half <laughs> but the, the important okay. <laughs> thing, once you're after six foot, like it doesn't matter, you know, I being six foot two is almost more difficult to play corner than being like six foot six one, uh, just because you're so top heavy, but he's 205 pounds, like really well built, really um, compact frame. And, uh, you know, he just he's he's great at getting that underneath leverage at the line of scrimmage and um really powerful punch and press coverage. So yeah, I think he could play off coverage, but I don't, um, I think I, I would definitely want to draft him to a, a press heavy scheme because that's going to utilize his skill set the best. Well, we're officially halfway through here. Your fourth overrated player on the list is offensive lineman, Cody Mach, who is a guy who we've, we've heard a lot about in the Nashville media market because the Titans are, going to be looking for a number of linemen, I think, uh, to be fresh to the team, to bring in some some new guys. I saw our friend Justin Mello on Nashville radio the other day talking about how he's a guy that he wouldn't mind the Titans taking a flyer on out of North Dakota State. It's going to give Titans, if they, if they do consider him, uh, the Titans, you consider drafting him, it's going to give a lot of Titans fans pause because not a whole lot of great recent history with North Dakota State linemen. He's a guy that is coming in and is, I think, expected at the NFL level to be a tackle to guard transition guy just because he's not going to meet the requirements 
um, of arm length. I don't think I'm guessing you probably have what he's going to measure out at. Yeah, he actually wise, he I, measured I'm confident that he's he was out. He, he measured at the senior bowl 32 and an eighth inch. So, yeah, has to be a guard. OK, yeah. Yeah, so he'll he'll be a guy that for sure when he comes into the league is playing interior offensive line. But he's six six, crazy tall, three hundred and three pounds. Certainly not lacking in the weight department. And he is interior offensive line. Well, okay, so it gets weird here on the consensus board, right? Because he's listed as a tackle. He's he's technically tackle um, six here on the consensus board, number fifty two overall. Again, he's going to be a guard or maybe a center at the uh, at the next level. But what do you think is uh, what do you think about Cody is is leading people astray a little bit. Why do you have him lower on your board? So it's let me just tell you kind of like the negatives for Cody Motch. He's going to be 24 okay. years old uh, on the day he gets hmm. drafted. Uh, he's got just over 32 inch arms. I don't have the percentiles handy, but that's going to be like really low percentile even for a guard. Um, and you know, you watch, you watch his tape it, this is not a helmet scouting thing. Like, you know, being against Cody Mach or whatever North Dakota state tackle because of Dylan Radins is lazy, even though I get the hesitation. You're a small with, school hater, man. Get out of here. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I get the hesitation if you're a Titans fan, but it's, you know, everybody's just a, a completely different player. Um, and yeah, he's kind of, to me, like a, uh, one of these people that like just plays against bad competition. He gets a lot of pancakes, but they're not necessarily impressive pancakes in terms of like his technique or movement ability. It's more just like he's an NFL athlete and everyone else on the field isn't. So he kind of throws people around. Um, mm. He has, he's really fast. He most offensive tackles have to kick slide around the pocket. He can literally just like sprint around the pocket like a like a wind-up car he's it's kind of crazy um foot foot quickness i would say but yeah like that's really it he, he's like a he's a fast guy that that knocked over a bunch of terrible athletes um trying guys that he won't be facing at the next level right yeah that's and that's what i can say for me in terms of like just as an analyst that's one of the things that i've um had to adjust to when i first started watching film like i would watch or when i first started watching draft film i would watch these fcs players and i'd see them just dominate competition and i didn't really understand the difference in competition level between uh you know i knew the comp the difference existed but i didn't really uh quite grasp the magnitude of it and yeah, I, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of, of Cody Mach. Um, I think as a guard, you know, a lot of his issues could probably be fixed, but you, you know, his pass protection reps at tackle. So North Dakota State is a super run heavy offense. And I went through every single game of his film and it would be like from each game, there would be one or two actual true pass sets where he was in a one-on-one -on -one situation and it wasn't a you know play action boot. It wasn't him with a double team, just like Cody Mach one on one versus another player. So very limited, uh, very limited film on him in one on one pass blocking situations. And 
the guys he's going up against are going to be, you know, making YouTube film breakdowns in three years. And he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't like pitching. What losers making those YouTube film breakdowns? Yeah. Like losers. If if you're, but if you're in the FCS, you need to dominate your competition. Um, Like Trevor Penning. For sure. Trevor Penning, who I had, um, I wasn't as high on as a prospect, but his film was dominant. He, you could tell that this is like a different level of player. Um, with Cody mm-hmm. Mach, his film was just good, which isn't really good enough for me, um, considering his competition level. Next guy you have on this list, uh, your fourth underrated players, cornerback Tyreek Stevenson out of the U in Miami. He is six foot, 214 pounds, and I have it on good um, good account today from the Senior Bowl where our buddy Zach Lyons is that he was one of the more vocal guys on the field at practice on day one. Um, he's a cornerback who you – well, well, we'll get to where you have him. The, uh, the consensus board has him all the way down below even Deontay Banks, num- number 99 overall on their list. Where do you have him on your list? And what do you think it is about him? That's going underlooked. I have, um, let's see, where do I have, I have Tyreek Stevenson as my 41st overall player and cornerback five. Um, and my, that's a dramatic difference. Wow. Yeah. My, my comp form is Tyson Campbell. Um, I think that pretty good player. I'll have to, I'll have to see what his arm length, um, measured in as i think it was lower when i looked at it it might have been lower than i expected but really just active hands at the catch point um does a does a great job you know raking through his hand uh raking through the receiver's hands really good size to play press coverage i think um he's explosive out of a back pedal the footwork in press coverage would be the main thing um that the main negative that I have for him. Um, but yeah, you know, really productive player. Um, trying to see how many, let's see what his stats are. Um, but yeah, he, he really, he reminded me of like Tyson Campbell this year because Tyson Campbell coming out of the draft, his, he was kind of like oh, a wow. typical press corner, but he just had no b- ball production really like couldn't play the ball at all. Um, and then got into the NFL and really developed that part of his game. Um, so I, yeah, I see Tyreek Stevenson as like a less athletic kind of Tyson Campbell, just really, um, similar way that they use their hands and press. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's hard with these corners because once you can only kind of, you can only give so many second round grades to the same position, um, before it's like, right. well, they can't all know, go in the second, second round. Wonder, right. Like in this class, you know, I have Tyreek Stevenson as my 41st overall player. That's just, that's just ranking the grades that I have. But in terms of this class, you know, I think all these corners, depending on where the run is, you know, you're play, so as, deep, as a team, man. you're, you're so kind deep. of playing the value. And so if I'm sitting there with the 41st overall pick, I don't know that I'm taking Tyreek Stevenson or, uh, you know, when there's like five other guys that I have similar grades on. So yeah, he, I think the biggest thing with Tyreek Stevenson in terms of like falling down draft boards or, or going lower than I have them 
would just be how strong this cornerback class is because I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of past the first and second round guys, but I'm still um, finding guys corners, like new corners that I'm watching that, uh, that I have, I'm giving day two grades to. Your next guy on the list, we've got four more to get through here. It's guard one. Um, Overall, he is the uh, number one consensus guard on the consensus draft board. It's Osiris Torrance out of Florida, coming in at 6'5", 347. He is uh, the overall 25th player in the draft, according to the consensus board. But according to James Foster's board, where is he? What is it about him that you think is a little bit overrated? I have Osiris Torrance as the my 82nd overall player um, guard four for me. And he's probably, wow. Okay. Yeah. He's it's a, it's a really weak guard class and keep in mind with, with that. Um, so I have Cody Motch as a guard and I have, um, I have Peter Skaronsky as a guard. So those are two guys that oh, might okay. be fair. Yeah, it gets on, weird the the tackle guard at. distinction on here for sure. Yeah, but you know he's someone that he was a transfer from Louisiana Lafayette, I think, um, and you know really really good at that level, and then came into Florida. And if you look at like his PFF grades, like when I was about to go into his film first thing I do is pull up their PFF profile to see, you know, where they played snaps and stuff. And I'm looking and it's like, you know, 88.0 overall grade, uh, 89.9 run blocking grade. I'm like, okay, this is, this guy's going to be a mauler and, uh, you know, a beast. And the film just like, wasn't good. I, I really, that's, this is probably, (laughs) probably next guy on the list here is he's probably the most egregious, like, overgraded player that I've ever seen for PFF. Um, you know, I would watch, I watched, I watched games where there was not a single positive impact run blocking rep and he would have like an 85. So James, what, what are people seeing? Like, what is it that's fooling them? Um, so he, he's kind of like, he had a, a dominant game against like USF. I know. I, I don't know if people are, I think this could be some lag uh, from last year's from the evaluation from last year. I didn't watch him at Louisiana Lafayette. So I don't know what that film looked like. Um, I'm sure I'll, I'll get into it okay. at some point, but it could be that, that like last year's film was super impressive and everybody's uh, a big fan of that, but you know, he's a, he's huge. He is a rock in pass protection, like just really no point in even trying a bull rush on Osiris Torrance. Um, Mm. And I think he has pretty good foot quickness and balance for someone of his size. But, you know, the explosiveness off the ball, hand placement, uh, really lacking in those areas. And he's, he's kind of... I don't want to say that he he's not a bad player. It's not like he was getting beat a bunch, but I, there the impact positive plays and um, I, I I never really saw him like f- saw any flashes of 
high-end traits or anything that I would even be considering him in the first round. I talked I, I talked to Justin Mello. I asked him, I was like, does Osiris Torrance's film get any better? And he was like, no, I had a third round grade on him. Um, I think is what he said, but yeah, that's, <laughs> okay. I, have a, I have a late third. Maybe he's a guy that just is going to come crashing down the boards because that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? doesn't make any sense that he's so high. Yeah, I don't, let's see, where did Daniel Jeremiah have Osiris? Yeah, like he's still getting, Daniel Jeremiah had him at 17 in his most recent mock draft. Like he's still getting put he's overall. Still high. Um, so yeah, I mean, I watched the first five games of his, uh season maybe maybe week six through 13 is when he he really turns it around but at this point like i want to reiterate he's not a bad player he's just it's like sure there's there's no high end he's he's kind of is he a top 25 player like there's a big difference right i i wouldn't draft him if you pretty much ever run outside zone um but if you're a gap heavy running game and you just need like a, a solid guard in the third, fourth round. You know, I think that's that's a good pick. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not really a fan of Osiris Torrance compared to where he's being put in mock drafts. We've got three more guys to get to here, but we do have somebody who is a Broadway insider joining us live who gave us a question that fits in with the offensive line discussion. So I... I'm going to bring it up real quick and we can talk about this briefly, but Kenneth who's been watching, appreciate you. Kenneth asks Titans under John Robinson. They continued to take run blockers and try to coach up pass protection. Is it better to take the reverse and take a good pass protector, try to coach up their run blocking ability? James, as somebody who's done a lot of uh, evaluating players on the offensive line, a lot more than I have, that's for sure. Do you have any thoughts on this? Do you think that there's a, a, a distinction between the two? I know we've talked before about how it's it's usually easier to do one than the other at the NFL level, but what are your thoughts? I think that I I definitely agree with what I think Kenneth's opinion is. Um, the Titans, I really disagreed with the Titans' philosophy of how they how they signed and drafted offensive linemen where it's like the one criteria that you had to fit is that you can block outside zone. It doesn't matter how mm-hmm. bad of a pass blocker you are. Um, you can you know, suck when, at everything else, man. Yeah. When for we're sure. filling out the bottom of our roster, it's just like only guys that can block wide zone and that's it. Cause when you're, when you're, when you're getting backup offensive linemen, you, these players can usually do like one thing. Well, that's keeping them in the league. Um, so like Aaron Brewer, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely, I, (laughs) obviously you have to draft players to fit your scheme, but I think, you know, pass blocking is just more important than run blocking because passing is a more efficient way to move the football than running the ball. So I think that pass protection should always be the, uh, the priority, but you know, it's, I do think that run blocking, it's trying to think of how, so, you know, if you're, there's, there's traits and then there's technique. I think that, um, okay. If a player has technique issues, you know, really in, in either phase of the game, um, that's stuff that you can coach up, but I wouldn't draft a player that I didn't think had 
the traits to develop into a good pass blocker. Um, so that's great you know, way arm length. It. Yep. Uh, how much how much distance can they travel? How much pocket range do they have? How many, how much distance can they travel with a couple kick slides? And then can they recover and slide back to the inside? Um, so mirror ability, recoverability, and length. Those are like the those are the kind of the two main traits that I look for in pass protection, and I definitely agree that that should be. Uh, hopefully, the Titans prioritize that more and prioritize it over run blocking. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Great answer to a great question. Thanks, Kenneth, for uh, for listening and and offering up such a great question. Back to the list here. We got three more guys. You're. Fifth underrated player, defensive lineman, Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, 6'4", 315 pounds. He comes in on the consensus board uh, on the defensive line as the – am I missing him here? Where is he? Is he uh... – oh, he, here he is, 126th overall prospect. Um, a good ways down the board here. Where do you have him on your list? Uh, I'm assuming you probably have him in the top 100. On, on your draft board, and what do you think people are missing about him? I have Keanu Benton as uh, the 55th overall player and 7th-ranked defensive tackle. Whoa! Um, that's crazy. But, you know, I don't think that's... So here's the thing with the consensus board, is I don't think that it weights... I don't know how they do the calculation, but it's like... You'll get Positional the, some value. Of these, some of these... Um, well, no... I don't think they wait when the board was made because there's some of these outlets. Like I, oh, I oh, keep up I with the consensus you. and there's, you know, you've got like draft tech tankathon, um, um, draft buzz. There's like, there's all these kind of different, um, there's a few different outlets out there where I really do question if whoever's making these rankings, like watches is watching these players. I, I don't, I sort of think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot okay. of outlets that just kind of, they might watch like the top 20 players, but I'll see, I'll see places that have like a top 400. And it's like, how have you watched 400? How do you have an opinion on 400 players? Um, so I, I think there's yeah, a lot no, of that stuff. No, no, I'm no. looking at his rankings, you know, he's 143rd on draft tech. It's like, I don't, I don't really think that's a valid ranking. And I, I look at the recently updated ones. He's 70th on PFF's board. 54th on the ESPN board, okay. um, 55th on Todd McShay. So like, uh, you know, established guys that I know are watching the tape, um, are like Keanu mm -hmm. Benton, like Keanu Benton. Um, and he's, my comp for him is a lean McNeil. He's a nose tackle that I think has pass rushing upside. Um, and he, he's really just a, a solid all around player not anything crazy in terms of like he, he he's like a he's a b to b plus in like every aspect you know pretty explosive off the ball he flashes um some nice nice hand usage in run defense he he makes a lot of plays in the backfield for sure there are times that i don't i don't really think he would be a great like anchor guy against double teams because he does kind of get moved back his, mm. his the biggest thing with him is that his he lets his his feet aren't really like solid on the ground um when he's trying to anchor against a double team 
he'll just be like constantly resetting his base and shuffling his feet. And, you know, you've got to have your feet planted if you want to not move. And so that would be my biggest uh, negative for Keanu Benton. And I don't think he's not, he's not going to be this great elite interior rusher because he doesn't have the bend to finish pressures into sacks. He gets, he'll get upfield, get into the pocket and then guards will be able to flush him, flush him out and, you know, just like flush him uh, back towards the end zone and let the quarterback step up into the pocket. So yeah, not really like a finisher, but being able to being able to work through double teams and be a, be a run defending nose tackle that also can pressure the quarterback. That is really valuable. And I think, so yeah, I think he is a back end of the second round type of guy. Um, yeah, just because same thing with Aleem McNeil really is like, if you have pass rushing upside as a nose tackle, that's something that NFL teams are going to value. This next guy on your list, he's the last overrated player that we're going to talk about today. And he's one that I texted you about earlier today because I was watching some of his tape. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on him. It's Henry Toa Toa out of um, Alabama linebacker. He is the consensus linebacker for 54th overall player coming in at 6'2", 228 pounds, and I've got some thoughts on this guy, but I want to hear yours. What do you think is being overrated about Henry Toa Toa? I think Henry Toa Toa is kind of um, – so he was a highly ranked recruit, like a high four-star, uh, goes to Tennessee, transfers. He, he went to Tennessee, started as a freshman, was pretty solid for a freshman, and then – transfers to Alabama and you know similar to a lot of guys it's like I think a lot of him being overrated at this point is just uh like holdover from preseason evaluations where people are I guess expecting him to take a major step forward um but I have him as my number let's see I have him at I gotta scroll down here um I have him at 103 on my board. And for context, Mm. I have given 121 grades. So I have a... He's just going to keep falling the more guys you grade. Yeah, I have a late fifth round pick. So he's, once I, as I start to um, add in grades for all the mid-round guys, he's someone that's going to continue to slide down. Probably, he'll probably end up around like 150, 160. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. There's really doesn't really have high end traits. Six one two thirty. Um, he is a terrible tackler. I have a on huddle. I have that was a, what I. I have my number one note was this guy cannot tackle. I have a playlist with my Henry Toto juked out playlist has twenty three plays on it. <laughs> um, just for context, I bet, to say, like, I bet it's pretty long. From all I bet it's pretty long. Yeah, film, like he, I've never, I don't want to say never, but he gets juked out as much as anyone. It's kind of insane. It's um, so and then much. On top of that, a lot of just like general missed tackles, not wrapping up. I, I did. I will say, I think for a smaller guy, I was really impressed by his ability to shed blocks. 
it's not perfect. It's not consistent, but he's shown some flashes of like really quick hands, accurate hands and being able to disengage. So I think that is something um, that he has going for him coverage. You know, he made, he made some nice heady plays and coverage, like, you know, recognizing a trick play type of thing. But in terms of his ability to like man up a running back, um, I did not see that. And then, so yeah, the, 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 the two big issues with Henry Toto size and he, he can't tackle and he can't like break down and uh, tackle and control in space when, when the running backs or the ball carriers moving in the opposite direction. And then really just not enough high end traits, skills, anything to offset that. Um, He's going to be did a you player have when, I, when I write him when up. You were evaluating him that you thought of? What did you say? Did you have a, an NFL comp or two that you thought of when you were writing him up? No, I I do comps later unless when there's someone that jumps out, okay. I'll write it down. But then I, was just I usually, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go through and because like with him, it's when you get to later on guys, you got to really get into some deep cuts and like, you know, looking, you're going through the 2013 draft. You're like, Oh, that, that fifth round corner. Like, let me, let me check out, uh, let me check out his highlights. See what I think he's kind of, yeah. yeah, So it's, it's stuff like that, but yeah, just not really enough high end to balance it out. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, similar to what, what I've talked about with, how a lot of the rankings that you'll see on consensus boards are not necessarily indicative of like what the most recent film from this past year says. Um, but like I've, I've talked to Mike Renner about this. He has him at 155 uh, on PFF's board. And I think, mm. you know, I think mm-hmm. as, as the rankings get updated, I think he's someone that will be firmly in the day three uh, conversation. Yeah, that was uh, you've essentially summed up all of my thoughts on him when I was watching his tape earlier today. Dude can't tackle. I did I, I did find it fascinating his ability to to shed blocks and and make a make a move at the second level, but I, I just I don't see it in terms of a guy that's going to make much of an impact at the next level. Um but but we'll see. I, I also just just now seeing that he may for he may fall even further just because he's got some undisclosed injury that was reported on today. And that's why he was at the senior bowl and now he's withdrawn. So I I don't know what the situation is there, but we'll move on here to our last player. It is Darnell Wright, offensive tackle out of the university of Tennessee. A lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with this one. He's a guy that is listed on the consensus board. As the 58th overall player, he is tackle one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on their list. And he comes in at 6'6, 335 pounds, not lacking for size. That's for sure. I don't know what his arm length is, but with those measurables, I'd imagine he's got a nice wingspan on him. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it was uh, just over 34 inches. There we go. So, yeah, so so perfect arm length there for a tackle at the next level. He's kind of right on that bubble of guys that you know you you hesitate to to consider a tackle outside of the first round or two on the consensus board. He's right there at the at the edge of the second round, but it sounds like you have him a little bit higher than that. Yeah, I have him 
as my 20th overall player, uh, third ranked offensive tackle. Wow. Um, okay. He, so I was listening. I can't remember. It might have been Colin Coward. It was some podcaster show that uh, where Andrew Whitworth was on, and he was talking okay. about the way that Lane Johnson right tackle for the Eagles, the way that Lane Johnson plays. And he described mm-hmm. it as it looks like he's just back there smoking cigarettes while he's playing. Like that's how it is with Darnell, Wright, <laughs> Someone who is just it's okay. Like, when, when he would go against the bottom half of the sec, like Kentucky, Missouri, it's like, he was just playing around. Like he would, there are times he'll be a little bit sloppy with his technique and it's almost a positive for me because he still is able to like make the play, you know, block whoever he's trying to block. But like, it's, it's really hard to describe, but like watching him against LSU, he's the way that he can just slide around the pocket, almost infinite pocket range, which is really surprising. He's not very, he's very different than what, you would expect for someone who's um what was he like 340 pounds he he moves he's listed 335 i wouldn't be shocked if he's a little bigger than that yeah yeah he might he might be like the best mover um of any offensive tackle in this class when you adjust for weight like if he if he went down if he lost 30 okay. pounds and went down to 310 like most offensive tackles he might run, he might like set the, the combine record for um, three cone or something. So yeah, really, just really quick feet. Um, pretty much never saw, I watched today. I actually like finished my Darnell Wright evaluation. And so I've watched every single snap that he took uh, this, this past season. Uh, I don't think I saw him get beat to the outside one time. There are times he will overset occasionally. And um, when he does get beat, there are a few times he gets beat to the inside. But again, just an elite ability to mirror. Um, he can, if if a if a pass rusher t- takes a jab step inside, he can mirror that inside rush, like make a full kick slide inside, and then slide all the way back out and give the quarterback a, a wide pocket to work with. So uh, yeah, the, the range, the foot quickness elite, he's really good with his hands. He'll, he'll do a, a jump set where he, he engages really quickly at the start of the snap and then he'll disengage. Um, he's really good uh, using the snatch trap technique. He, he's great throughout the process of the rush uh, he's constantly forcing the pass rusher to disengage if the pass rusher gets his hands on him he's swatting them down immediately um you know taking a couple steps back and then getting his hands up and resetting the resetting the play basically um and then he's he kind of has that nasty like block finisher mentality puts as many people on the ground in pass protection as anyone in this class outside of Dewan Jones, probably. Um, and then he's also as a run blocker, he's, he has a lot of power on down blocks and double teams. Tennessee's rushing offense 
they might they maybe ran like outside zone three times so you pretty much have nothing to evaluate in terms of hand placement and technique and zone blocking and run blocking is the the main issue that i have with darnell Wright. the one consistent real negative that he has is that he'll lower his head at the point of contact and um allow defenders to swim through him and then when he's heading to the second level he's going for that highlight block and he's just kind of like barreling Mm. barreling down um you know dips his head down he's not looking at the player he's trying to block and just kind of throws himself into him and doesn't have a very high doesn't have as high of a success rate as he should for someone who has the the hand technique that he's shown in other aspects of his game He's got the speed. I mean, he flies across the formation when uh, Tennessee pulled him a lot. Um, so he has the traits absolutely to develop into a better run blocker, but the run blocking tape was not that great. So that's that's the main negative for Darn- Darnell Wright. Uh, but going back into that guy's question, kind of like this is where I would say the pass protection with Darnell Wright yeah, is definitely. so good um, that I I can't – I don't think I could uh, not take him in in the first round, and for the Titans specifically, um, you know, I think I, I think he's a good enough player. Where if he was there in the second round, I might just say sayonara to NPF. Honestly, <laughs> wow, wow, that is a fascinating take and one that I'm sure will be talked about quite a bit, considering this is a, a Tennessee player. A lot of people here that are Titans fans and Tennessee fans going to be looking at Darnell Wright closely over the next coming weeks. But for now, we're going to be done. James, we appreciate your time so much. Before we get out of here, tell the people what you've been working on over on YouTube at No Flags Film. Uh, excuse me, No Flags Film on Twitter, um, A to Z Film Room on YouTube. You've got a lot of draft content in the works, I've heard. Tell me what uh, people need to be going to, to look at right now. What do you have up as of today? Yeah, so we got Anthony Richardson, Quentin Johnston, and Deontay Banks are the uh, most recent videos. And uh, just today posted my all-rookie team. Uh, it's not it's not live yet, but that should be up uh, probably sometime tomorrow morning. Um, yeah, going through my all-rookie roster. And uh, actually, two Titans made, made the team. And I'm sure everybody can guess who the two Titans are. But I can guess who they are. Yeah, yeah, that we can guess who they are. Well, that's awesome, man. We appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to talking again next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, real quick before you go, appreciate James coming in on Wednesdays, having a a show ready for us. We're going to talk draft with him every single Wednesday through the draft. So super excited about that. We'll be talking more draft and offseason on our Monday and Friday shows as we get further and further into this offseason and things get heated up a little bit. But got to let you know that I think we're going to have a regularly scheduled program on Friday morning. Have to warn you that there's a chance that one becomes a Saturday show. There's also a chance that we have a Friday show as usual and then a bonus Saturday show. Don't know yet because we have a interview lined up with our buddies Stoney Keeley and Zach Lyons, who are down at the Senior Bowl in Birmingham this week covering 
the Senior Bowl for 440 and the Sobros Network and for Broadway, doing a fantastic job down there. If you're not following their coverage of the the Senior Bowl this week on Twitter and on a, a variety of different podcasts and YouTube platforms, you got to be doing that because just one day in here, they're already doing a fantastic job of keeping you up to date. If you're wanting to follow the Senior Bowl from a Titans perspective, they are the number one source for that. So make sure to do that. And uh, we'll, we'll have an interview with them on Friday. We've got that lined up already. So I don't know whether or not we'll make that a part of the Friday show and maybe release the Friday show Friday afternoon instead of in the morning. Maybe we'll make it a bonus Saturday episode. Maybe we'll just push that interview to Monday. Don't know. Going to kind of play it by ear, see how much we have to talk about besides the Senior Bowl on our Friday and Monday show upcoming. But I can guarantee we will have a show uh, at the end of the week as we usually do. And then going forward, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, we'll have a show. James Foster joining us on Wednesdays, Mondays, and Fridays. A variety of other guests. Already got two or three other guests lined up. And uh, we'll, we'll have a, a couple of people in the next three or four episodes that we've not had on the show before that I'm super, super excited to talk to. So looking forward to that. Make sure to tune in then. Producer JT will be back with me as usual on Friday. We will see you then. Until then, this has been the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze. We'll talk to you later this week.